It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. The Stinger knows seven different forms of crazy. And more important, right here on my home turf, with the ocean, the palm trees, and that's right, waves and waves of little stingers, big stingers, medium-sized stingers, every color in the whole wide world. I got good buddies like Mark Johnson and Jamie Pugh by my side, and you know something? I got my mom and dad sitting ringside, and the stinger is not going to be embarrassed. And it will. Slim Jims, Bash at the Beach, ooh yeah! Hey Jane, what we're talking about tonight is the Macho Man, woo! Versus the Nature Boy! What time is it? It's Vader time! What time is it? Somebody must show this jump what time it is! Brother me and Gene, you know what the deal is, big dude! Me and Rod the Bod, we were riding Harley Davidson's brother up and down Pacific Coast Highway, brother, all through the straddle of the night, brother, looking for somebody to bust up, dude. This is just another wrestling podcast featuring Scott Sudikoff and Daryl Hatfield. Just another wrestling podcast. Boy, I'm so boring. Fucking sucks. Hey, it's a working title. Just another wrestling podcast. And now, here are your hosts, Scott Sudikoff and Daryl Hatfield. It's time for another edition of Just Another Wrestling Podcast. Scott Sudikoff, Daryl Hatfield with you, coming to you from the split location uh, right now. I'm in Massachusetts. He is uh, in New Jersey, and we are into the month of July, and it is it is officially the summer. It has been for a while. We, uh, we had our King of the Ring fling. Uh, where we went through 1995, 96, and 2000 of the uh, former June staple of the WWF, the King of the Ring. And now, over the next couple of weeks, we're going to make a trip back to 1995 and check out what WCW was doing. Now, Daryl, of course, for WCW, the only shows that we have covered so far were shows from the year 2000. So for right now, uh, up to episode 14 uh, we are now of our podcast. It's our first time getting to that. Well, it's mid nineties WCW. It's post Hogan coming in, but it's pre NWO. It's 1995, and again, this is what we talked about on some other episodes about how interesting 1995 is because of the way going into '96, everything gets turned around. People are swapping companies left and right, and obviously. 96 sees NWO, the rise of Stone Cold, et cetera, et cetera. So 1995, summer of 1995 is a fun time period to go back and look at. And that's why we're hitting Bash at the Beach 95 today. And next week, we're going to follow it up with the Clash of the Champions 31, which ends up, uh, which occurred about three weeks after the 95 bash at the beach on a scale of one to 10. How excited are you for some 1995 WCW? Well, I, I am coming fresh off watching the great American bash 
So I am actually super excited. I'll, I'll give myself an 8.5 in regards to, uh, to excitement because we're not quite at 96 and 97, that big boom period, which like, and, and even 98, 99 and 2000, 2000 WWF, we'll say, uh, mm-hmm. as we experienced with the, the last episode, how good those pay-per-views were. Um, because we did have a couple great pay-per-views we just covered right in a row that were super exciting. Um, and, and it was really interesting from a historical perspective, but I am pretty excited to watch WCW because it's sort of the, I won't say the calm before the storm. That was the, the 96 explosion. We'll call it maybe the, the shit before the storm. Um, since we are fond of the whole shit storms here on, uh, just on a wrestling podcast. But um, what I saw during Great American Bash, it wasn't it wasn't terrible, but it was really interesting. Like some of the some of the tropes that were being carried over from the eighties still, uh, uh, before we started recording, we talked about the Jim Duggan Craig Pittman match that happened at Great American Bash, which I thought was hilarious. Um, because we had the jingoistic USA champ happening in favor of hacks on Jim Duggan as he was facing a member of the United States Marine Corps. Right. The crowd <laughs> meant that to be in support of the guy who was just like a meathead from New York over the guy that actually served in the U S military. Um, I thought that was hilarious. And, and it was a time where uh, we'll call it a similar time, right? Where wrestling didn't have to completely make sense. Like, I, I know when I was 10 years old, I bought into that. I was like, yeah, I want to cheer for, for Hacksaw. I'll yell USA, even though this guy has more of a claim to the USA champ than Hacksaw because he actually went into combat for us. Um, but things like that happened. We saw Flying Brian, which did, do you have that in your notes? I think so, right? Yeah. Um, well, I watched uh, the Flying Brian Alex Wright match that started off that Great American Bash pay per view. It was awesome. Yeah. And, but it was weird because f- he was flying Brian again. This is post Hollywood Blondes. Went back to the Flying Brian name, but he came out to the Blondes Have More Fun theme song. Yeah, it was a little bit of uh, uh, of kind of mixing mixing things together. Of course, he's still got. Well, what, when does he? Now I forget. It's a ninety ninety uh, going into summer of ninety six is when he has his whole contract thing where he plays WCW like a fiddle. Ends up. Uh, signing with WWF, um, yeah, I you know I went back and kind of I went all the way back to January actually of '95 and watched the Clash of the Champions '30 uh, to just kind of get a feel as to what was going on. And the big thing at that point was Hogan versus Vader was being set up for the WCW title at Super Brawl, um, and they were doing they did a tag match was the main event on this show. It was Hogan and Savage, who of course just came in WCW in December. And this was going to be his big first match teaming with Hogan, the monster maniacs. They were called, as you can guess, mega powers probably wasn't something they allowed to use. And so they went with monster maniacs and they took on the formidable team of two faces of the three faces of fear as they were going by at this point, uh, Kevin Sullivan and the butcher, formerly brother Brudai, formerly, uh, Brutus, the barber beefcake. That was your main event of that show. Cause of course, star K 94 Hogan had the main event match with 
Brutus, with the, with the barber, with the butcher, whatever the hell you want to call him. Um, <laughs> Zodiac. Zodiac. I, think he, I think he still has uh, Zodiac upcoming from the butcher. I think he changes from the butcher to the Zodiac eventually. Um, then the booty man? or Yeah, so there's a lot of... Um, or maybe the booty man came before... I think the booty man came before, because who knows but they tried all they and then the disciple obviously as well um i always sometimes forget that the disciple is actually still also ed leslie because he looks very different in the uh in the nwo getup. um so i you know i watched that i watched super brawl a little bit of that saw the hogan vader main events and they were you know rebuilding vader back up to be this you know can beat everybody type of guy except for Hogan, of course, and he never ends up getting, uh, well, spoiler, but never really ends up getting over that hump, we'll say. And, uh, you know, getting a feel where it's like, again, it's that period of time where, like, you they're, they're hanging on to a lot of the old 80s, early 90s stuff that's kind of cartoonish, but you see the makings of them sort of turning the corner as well, and you have, you know, you have Harlem Heat, you know, Booker T and Stevie Ray, a little more edgy, a little more new, uh, new school. You could say, um, even having flying Brian in a match they had with Alex, Wright, They've just talked about a great American bash was a little bit more new wave. I would say, um, DDP is maturing into his character uh, around this time, but then you have Macho man and you have flair and you have Hogan. So, it's kind of a it's a fun blend of uh, different talent that we're seeing and then we will see on this '95 Bash at the Beach show and coming off of the Great American Bash, which they did in June of '95, and it was the first time they had done the Bash in about three years. They had actually discontinued the Great American Bash as a as a pay per view, um, but. Uh, Kind of looking at what the bash had, you know, Flair Savage was the main event. No Hogan on that pay-per-view. Remember, Hogan's contract was where he would get paid like some ridiculous amount just for appearing on a pay-per-view. And then he would also get a share of the pay-per-view. Um, they actually on the main event pregame show, which would be on TBS before pay-per-views, so before Great American Bash, they actually ended the show with Hogan and Vader having a pull-apart where they actually made it seem like, well, wait a minute, they, they want to fight here tonight. We might get this match later on at Great American Bash. So if you're watching, you're going, oh, Hogan and Vader are going to have a match now, potentially on the pay-per-view. i got to order it. Of course, they did not have a match on the pay-per-view, Great American Bash, for the point I just mentioned, because as soon as Hogan appears on pay-per-view, that contract kicks in where he gets $300,000 and 79% of the gate and... 81% of the pay-per-view buys, whatever it may have been. So he could appear on the pre-show, which wasn't pay-per-view yet. Um, so that may have been a way to, um, well, definitely, definitely a way to uh, snake some more fans into hitting the buy button or calling their local cable provider. But uh, fans uh, of the Wrestling Observer newsletter uh, uh, that watch Great American Bash were pretty happy with the show, 43% thumbs up. Uh, well, 22% thumbs down, 35% thumbs in the middle. Ric Flair, Randy Savage was the main event, voted as the best match. And that Pillman-Alex Wright match was voted as the second best match. Um, 
your that 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 Jim Duggan and Craig Pittman match was voted the second worst and voted the worst match on the card. Um, included the the Warrior knockoff Renegade uh, winning the TV title from Arn Anderson. Not even Arn Anderson could uh, get that uh, clusterfuck of a wrestler through to a good match. Um, yeah. So the one thing that I really noticed about Renegade when I was rewatching, because um, when I was a kid, I thought he was really cool because he had the face paint, the wild hair. That dude was so not nearly as jacked as Warrior. No, no. Like, right. holy shit, could that guy have used some steroids? <laughs> <laughs> like, I looked at him and I'm like, I, he, he kind of looks like my dad if he would have shaved his chest back in that era. Also, my dad was bald, so he couldn't have had that hair. But it was like, he, he kind of had like a, a dad bod and they tried to pass him off as the warrior. That was ridiculous. No wonder he had the singlet and not... Not like uh, the the briefs because he never could have pulled off the renegade character if he would, if he would try to show off anything more than he already did. But that was like it was really wild to me that they tried to use a guy that like he he wasn't like a small dude, but he's like all right, yeah, you lift weights, but you don't like eat right or any any nice cheap a nice cheap knockoff basically a really cheap knockoff. At least now, excellent in the ring if you're if you're not going to pull off the aesthetic look. Right. Um, now, of course, the the June Great American Bash pay-per-view was the same month of that horrendous King of the Ring 95 show that we covered. And I just gave you kind of the thumbs up, thumbs down breakdown. But uh, from the King of the Ring 95, thumbs up was 6%. Thumbs down was 86%. And uh, thumbs in the middle was 8%. So it just kind of shows that well, WCW put on the better show, more or less, in June of 1995. Um, fun note, uh, I guess you could say fun, but that Jim Duggan-Craig Pittman match was not supposed to be the match that was on that card. It was supposed to be Marcus Bagwell, a.k.a. Buff, a.k.a. Marcus Alexander Bagwell. Um, but he was not able to perform that night because he had a leg infection, which... He sounds pretty, you're like, oh, that sounds not good. Like, what happened? Like a cut? Like, you know, big you know, staph infection? Something going on with his leg? Is he, gonna, is he okay? Um, well, he decided to get calf implants put in. Because <laughs> that's something normal people do. Um, although, I guess, competitive bodybuilders, that would be someone who would do that, yeah. I suppose, right? Um, as Dave Meltzer wrote... Do they allow that in bodybuilding? Because couldn't you I just... Don't, couldn't you just get pec, bicep, calf, quad, and ass implants if you're a bodybuilder and then you just, like, kill it? I, I mean, there's a difference between bodybuilding type of comp like co competitive uh, competition bodybuilder. I don't know. Maybe there's different maybe, – maybe it's allowed in some version of I, – I don't know. Like, bodybuilding, like, just, just looking good competitions, not in order to, like, lift weight competitions. Does that make sense? Like, Mark Henry – would not be able to do something like that, probably because yeah, yeah. He, he was in he wasn't body he wasn't in bodybuilding competitions. He was in like right. weightlifting competitions, which is completely different. Yeah, I can't tell you. You know, I, I can't tell you what the how it's legal or why it's legal. Maybe it's not. Maybe it's not legal. Maybe Melzer's just saying I can understand why a competitive bodybuilder would do that. But uh, he says why a wrestler who wears long tights would want calf implants is harder to figure. Um, 
So he did that in late May and apparently was in pain from the beginning and had circulatory problems. And I guess this is Meltzer. I guess he got infected from the operation. If he hadn't had them taken out, the infection could have ended his career. So I guess he hadn't taken out. So anyways, that's why he could not perform at the pay-per-view because he had uh, faulty calf implants. And um, yeah, so that's why you got Jim Duggan versus Craig Pittman at the Great American Bash. So you can thank the surgeon or the fake calf muscles for for that beautiful uh, wrestling match. Now, I know we did this on an episode. I think we did this on the King of the Ring 95 episode where we did like an April 95 business comparison. Well, now we have a May 95 business comparison. Although WCW's numbers, I guess, either weren't available fully yet or Dave, when he did the newsletter, forgot to fill in some of WCW's numbers. So I'm going to try to um, get this across as best as I can. So I'll start with WCW since we are doing a WCW show today. In May of 1994, the average attendance was 1460. Uh, Now, for May of 95, there was no number listed, but for April of 95, so we'll, we'll say May to April here, April of 95 was 1580. So a slight increase. I don't know what the percentage is there, but obviously not anything substantial. Um, unless you're really good at math and can figure that out quickly, you can go for it. Uh, it's 120 more people uh, on average uh, in attendance at WCW events. The average gate in May of 94 was 13.3. Uh, then April of 95, we got no number given for May of 95. April of 95, 19,640. So uh, 6,300 6, bump. So that's, uh, what, probably like a 40% bump. That's pretty good. Yeah, that's, that's, uh, that's a good bump there from 13,3 to, to 19,6. Um, percentage of house shows sold out, May of 94, zero. April 95, zero. Uh, Nobody wanted to go to that shit. Average cable TV rating in May of 94, 1.9. And then same for May of 95, 1.9. In fact, they were actually 2.1 in April of 95. So went down slightly. And then uh, different than the WWF, WCW can have this comparison. Major show in May of 94, Slamboree. 4,000 fans. This is pre-Hogan, by the way, May of 94, Slamboree. 4,000 fans, 2,700 paid, 53,000 estimated, uh, or $53,000 gate, uh, 0.48 buy rate, estimated $1.21 million gross. May of 95, Slamboree, now in the Hogan era, 7,000 fans, uh, 4,700 paid, 94,000 estimated uh, 94,000 gate, 0.57 estimated buy rate, and a $1.46 million gross. So the buy rate was up plus 18.8, and the overall estimated event revenue was up by 23% when it came to the big show. So I guess that's all to say that like WCW was improving under Hogan, as you might guess, from basically, obviously, when he was announced June of 94 
until now we're up to July of 95. As you might expect, they got a big of a pretty big bump. And you are proof of that because you always keep tell, you always tell the story of being a big Hogan guy and that yeah. that drew you over to WCW. And I'm sure it happened with a lot of people. Yeah, I mean, I always watched WCW before Hogan was there. Uh, I liked Sting. Obviously, all little kids liked Sting. Um, Flying Brian was another favorite when he was a face. Johnny B. Bad. Um, but when Hogan went over there, it did seem very important to a, I think I was a nine-year-old Daryl at the time that he went over, uh, nine going on 10. Um, it, it did just bring that whole legitimacy up in the eyes of like, let's say eight to probably at least 15 year olds WCW took off there because there, there were all the people that grew up on Hulk Hogan like me, um, I, I was at the tail end of it because when did Hulkamania really start? 83 was when it started. So, uh, yeah, yeah. It's so, so I didn't exist yet. Um, and my, my wrestling memories start around like 91, but he was still pretty big. And, and that's when I was watching all of the tapes from the eighties that were in the video store. So I wasn't watching Hulkamania Evolve live, but I was catching up through VHS. So I became a Hulkamaniac. And then when he went over to WCW, I watched all of that uh, that cheesy-ass TV show, Thunder in Paradise, because Hulk Hogan was on it. I watched Mr. Nanny. And I watched WCW religiously as soon as he went over there because he was the biggest star that I knew. And while I thought Bret Hart was really cool, I still thought Hulk Hogan was like a superhero. And when you're young, you really like superheroes. Like now, if if the new Hulk Hogan, John Cena, went over to AEW, <laughs> it would be interesting to me, but it wouldn't be enough to to like make me say like I watch AEW over WWE every week no matter what because John Cena's there. But when Hulk Hogan went over, it was enough to to pull me off of WWF and make me pay way more attention to WCW because before then WWF was always number one for me. And then I watched WCW when I could, it flip flopped as soon as Hogan went over. And that probably happened with a ton of people during that time. So this uh, 1995 edition of bash at the beach, July 16th and literally on the beach in Huntington beach, California. um, This is the second bash at the beach pay-per-view I mean, to me, it's the same lineage of Beach Blast. They just changed the name. They had that in July of 92 and 93, Beach Blast. And then they made it Bash at the Beach uh, in 94. I mean, such a, such, a minor, <laughs> such a minor difference in a name, but I guess technically it's a whole new event. Obviously, Bash at the Beach 94. Um, Bash at the Beach, it's funny because, you know, uh, you know Starcade is the show with all the history dating back to 83, but it definitely tailed off in the 90s. Definitely tailed off in the 90s. Um, to the point where it seemed like maybe Halloween Havoc was the big, the, the biggest show. But then look at Bash at the Beach. 94, you have Hogan's debut. 96, you have the NWO forming. Uh, 97, I think Rodman was involved in Bash of the Beach 97 as well. Of course, 98 with, with Carl Malone. Uh, Bash of the Beach 2000 is infamous for what happened with Hogan 
and Jared and Russo. But to me, it's Bash of the Beach ends up, you know, being, if not the, you know, the number two pay-per-view of the year, maybe, maybe the number, you know, if not the number three, maybe the number two or number two, maybe, the, you know, one of those where a lot of uh, notable stuff tends to happen. And this show notable, again, in the sense that it literally is happening on the beach uh, in California, which is cool to watch. I, I can't imagine it of being that great being there live, though, if you were legitimately a wrestling fan. Yeah, well, especially if it was Wendy, because you'd be getting sand whipped during the entire show. Um, but yeah, no, this this pay-per-view almost did become their SummerSlam, right? Yeah, I would, oh, oh, yeah, I would say this was their equivalent to SummerSlam because you know once you got the the Hog Wild Road Wild, I mean that was more of a yeah of a of a, of a niche show, just kind of like a fun one, you know, different. Great American Bash had more of the lineage, but I don't, don't feel like they did a lot of the the big stuff there. You know, they, that, you know, Bash of the Beach ends up happening, as I mentioned, Hogan Flair in 94, having Hogan join the NWO in 96, doing the stuff with Rodman and Malone. So, yeah, to me, it would seem like they went with Bash of the Beach as being like their big summer show um, and then going from there. And, and I do think that's smart because it's a, a whole month ahead of SummerSlam, right? So Yeah, a whole month. Okay, yeah, I, I like that idea too. Yeah, uh, having your bigger shows in a different month than the WWF might have. Especially if it's especially if it's ahead of time, because then you like then it almost can make SummerSlam seem like an afterthought if Bash at the Beach is big enough. Like think about Think about what SummerSlam 96 had to follow after Bash at the Beach had Hulk Hogan turning heel. So you're you're beating them to the punch with whatever hot angle that you're shooting at that pay-per-view. Yeah, for sure. Uh, That's that's a good point. And probably part of the reason why WCW, you know, up their pay-per-views at this point and where they they weren't doing 12 yet in 95, but they were getting close and then that's when WWF brings it in your house. And so they went to 12 and obviously WCW answers going to 12. So it's um, kind of a little cat and mouse game to try to get the pay-per-view dollar. Because at this point you might, you know, you may be sucked into Bash of the Beach 95 because you want to see Hogan defend the WCW title in a cage against Vader. And then when it comes around to SummerSlam 95, you're like, fuck this shit. I don't give a crap about Mabel and Diesel. Not buying that one. Right, like, um, so that's probably what a lot of people actually said. <laughs> it was probably it was probably a big thing that did happen. Um, now, of course, SummerSlam '95 does have the uh, the the follow up, the ladder match to uh, HBK and Razor. So maybe that would uh, entice people to check it out. So officially this is the second bash at the beach pay-per-view as i mentioned last year 94 was hogan's debut in orlando Shaq was there mr t was there i believe and he beats flair for the championship um leading up to this show they had hogan vader savage flair and kevin sullivan all a part of an episode of baywatch um actually season six episode 15 officially so you could go (laughs) And look that up. We should have um, watched that in advance of this. Yeah, that's paper a good view. point. I uh, screwed the pooch on that one. 
we might be able to watch it before we we take part two of the show actually because obviously true. people have probably figured it out we break up the show into two parts so maybe we'll be able to quickly check that out first but right uh, uh season six episode 15 baywatch also titled bash at the beach um and apparently they filmed stuff baywatch did during this show that I guess did also get used on a future episode. So there was a little crossover with, uh, with Baywatch at this point in 1995. So we'll have to uh, maybe look that up and check it out before we come with part two. Now, where this is happening officially is, um, and it's funny that you know Meltzer had this, I think the week before the show. Uh, since it hasn't been heavily publicized, the bash at Huntington Beach matches will take place in front of the waterfront Hilton between very specific here between lifeguard stand X and Y <laughs> according to an article in the orange County register city officials expect 10 to 20,000 people to attend the free show. However, WCW promoter Zane Bresloff claimed in the article, he's expecting up to 50,000 people. Yeah. Right. About 40,000 people would be at the beach on a typical Sunday afternoon when the weather is good. Now, that doesn't mean like in that exact spot, of course. That just means they'd be in that beach area, 40,000 people. Um, yeah. So in the end, they get about 9,000 that are around the ring, give or take, different reports. Um, I was reading... Meltzer, Meltzer, the number Meltzer gives is the one that I, I see everywhere, 9,500. And I had written down how he got to the number here, and I found it. As for the hundreds of thousands, it is impossible to get a because he was at the show, by the way, Dave Meltzer was actually at this show in California, so we saw it live. As for the hundreds of thousands, it is impossible to get a realistic figure in a free show so people could just be filing in and out walking up the beach walking up watching the show walking away um i was doing head counts numerous times through the show although it's far more difficult getting an accurate count at the beach as compared with an arena the largest number i got was an estimated 9500 during uh, the main event uh, pre-show so dave Meltzer is at this show somewhere in the crowd i don't know maybe he's perched somewhere and he is counting heads he's going one two three four five six ten uh, one two three four six twenty 40 up until 9,500. Now he probably has some better, um, some better way of getting through it like that. In fact, uh, cause he is, you know, the stories or he has said himself in Japan shows the Tokyo dome where he sat in the crowd and he is counted. He would count empty seats and then, you know, subtract it from the, overall building and get a, an attendance number like that. But uh, that is some dedication when you think about it. Like to to be at a show like that and then to think like, I got to count a number here because they're not going to report an accurate number most likely, nor can you really get an accurate number. So I'm going to sit here, I'm going to count heads. That, I mean... Uh, yeah, I'm only counting that high if I'm in prison and I'm bored and I'm counting like the specs on the ceiling. But it's just funny in the end that like yeah. I look at all different sites, you know, that have rundowns of the show and they say 9,500 because <laughs> that's the that's the number that Dave ends up coming out with. And you know, whether you like him or not, he is the number one wrestling journalist that there ever has been. 
I guess. Uh, I feel like that's safe to say. Um, of course, we bounce back and forth between Dave and Wade Keller. I uh, enjoy reading both. Uh, it just makes it easier for each show to focus on to focus on one. So we'll hit up Wade Keller in the PW Torch when we're getting ready for the Clash of the Champions next week. Uh, of course, around uh, the same time period, August of 1995. Um, I, I keep mentioning the main event pregame show. It was on TBS Sunday nights and on pay-per-view Sundays. They would do a live show, kind of like what Sunday Night Heat would end up doing starting in the summer of 98 for the WWF. They'd you know, be on 7 o'clock to 8 o'clock, have matches, pump up the pay-per-view, and uh, obviously a, uh, a smart business plan. Uh, matches that they had on this night uh, started with Johnny B. Bad and Canyon, Chris Canyon. Uh, Johnny B. Bad beating Chris Canyon in two minutes with a Frankensteiner off the top rope, which uh, called the Bad Day was uh, Mark Miro's finishing move. Clever. Uh, uh, Road Warrior Hawk working solo at this point after, I believe this is the time period where Animal, no, this is actually no Road Warrior Hawk. So I'm confused now. So Hawk was working solo here because there was the, the issue with the Road Warriors where Hawk went over to Japan and he was working with a different tag partner as Road Warriors. Animal was still over in WCW working solo, but uh, this says Road Warrior Hawk. Uh, so this is not that situation. Uh, so pinned uh, Mark Starr, who I have no clue who that is. And uh, then... The main event of main event was Dick Slater and Bunkhouse Buck taking on Marcus Bagwell, who thankfully is back in action, and Alex Wright. Um, Alex Wright had been undefeated, as far as I know, up until Great American Bash. So I don't, he must have lost at some point before this. Can't imagine they would have his first loss be in a tag team match uh, on the pre show. So that's what happened on that show. And uh, on. Bash in the Beach to get to look forward to right now. Sting and Ming for the U.S. title. Uh, we got Renegade oh, defending the... What was so that? that's a, a rematch, right? Because yes. Sting and Ming saw... They, they faced each other at uh, Great American Bash in the finals of a tournament, uh, which Sting won. Yes, the finals of the U.S. title tournament, Great American Bash, Sting beat Meng. That match was actually supposed to be a semifinal match, but the other semifinal, Flair and Savage, went to a double uh, double DQ or double countout, so both guys were eliminated. So then Sting and Meng's match became the title match. Vader, who was the U.S. champion, dating back to Starcade when he won it from Duggan, um, Became the number one contender for the WCW title, and I think he beat the shit out of some people and got it stripped, uh, which is par for the course for Vader in his, char- you know, in his character to do stuff like that. Uh, so that's why they had a um, WCW US Championship tournament. We have Renegade defending the TV title against Paul Orndorff on this show. Kamala and Jim Duggan is a match here that we will have to watch. <laughs> Uh, DDP is in a continued food, continued food, continued feud with Evad Dave Sullivan, which happened Great American Bash. Uh, they had an arm wrestling contest. DDP's big gimmick was that he was like a world champion arm wrestler uh, right now, and he lost to Dave Sullivan at Great American Bash. Um, and because of that, Dave Sullivan was allowed to go on a date with the Diamond Doll. 
Kimberly. Um, so that that's that storyline. Super. Um, you should also mention the, the existence of Max Muscle. Max Muscle, yes. A uh, lot of muscle on that guy. Uh, and it's a clever name, very clever name, Max Muscle. Other he, than that, I don't know what else to say about him. He is a, like, he might be the most stereotypical 1990s bodybuilder that you could find. He reminds me of the, the uh, bodybuilder in Weekend at Bernie's too. That's pretty much who Max Muscle is. Um, and I love it because it reminds me of that character. <laughs> but very, very forgettable um, because I did watch WCW religiously during this period and Max Muscle seemed new to me when I was watching Great American Bash today. There's a tag team title match on this show, a triangle match, Harlem Heat, uh, defending their titles against the Nasty Boys and the Blue Bloods. And uh, we're going to have that match on part two of our uh, Bash of the Beach episode here. So make sure you, I guess you have to remind me, uh, to kind of go through the story of the tag titles at this point. Because it's very, very confusing because WCW is still on that period where they are taping a lot of stuff in advance, even like taping Saturday and Sunday shows that will air after a pay-per-view, but they're taping it before the pay-per-view. And so they have to do these things where they, maybe they're doing title changes at these tapings that get reported. But then on TV, the other team is still the champion. And you can understand where a confusion starts to set in if you're someone who's a, I guess, a smart fan, I suppose. Uh, if you're someone just watching the TV, then you don't really know. But if you're someone who's reading the newsletters at this time period, you're very confused about who the tag champions are. So I will, uh, I'll run through that as best as I can in, uh, in part two. And then our double main event is a lifeguard match, which I guess <laughs> is the same thing as a lumberjack match, except um, Baywatch girls are around the ring, Randy Savage, Ric Flair, and then the Hogan-Vader cage match for the WCW title is the main event on this show, Bash at the Beach, 1995. So I'm just about ready if you are. Oh, I am. I have it all, all right. queued up. Very cool. Well, we will take a quick break. And when we come back, we will get things started with Bash at the Beach, 1995. A nice two-hour and 25-minute show from July 16th of 1995 on the beach in Huntington Beach, California, on the other side of this break on Just Another Wrestling Podcast. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. <gasps> No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. 
Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome back to just another wrestling podcast, WCW Bash at the Beach 1995, the show that we are checking out today. Before we get going here, make sure you throw us a follow on Twitter at JAW Podcast. And you can send us an email as well at JAWPod at gmail.com. You can send some thoughts about this show, previous shows, or uh, any shows you might want us to cover in the near future. Uh, as we already said, uh, next week we're going to cover the Clash of the Champions 31 special, which happened in August. So it was the next big show, I guess you could say, after this Bash at the Beach pay-per-view. And then coming up also in the next few weeks, we are going to go to uh, the year. Uh, first, we're going to go to the year 1989. Uh, and we're going to do a Saturday night's main event from July 1989. Um, and guess who's on that show? Summer of 89. Well, I mean, it's obvious Hulk Hogan's on that show, correct? Yes. Yeah, uh-huh. he he defends the WWF title, I believe, against the Honky Tonk Man. Yeah. I'm going to guess Summer of 89. Was it Zeus? Zeus. Yes. We will see some Zeus uh, at a Saturday Night's Main event from July of 1989 and then uh the week after that we're gonna go smack dab into the attitude era and go to 1998 where we have not uh jumped into yet that year in any promotion and we're gonna watch the july 1998 pay-per-view fully loaded in your house which was the main event of austin and the undertaker against kane and mankind of course, Austin and Undertaker were on the highway to hell to their SummerSlam main event, and they were challenging Kane and Mankind for the tag team titles. The big story going into that whole uh, match was, the, was the Undertaker actually going to show up and be Austin's partner. Uh, also on that show, there is a great two out of three falls match between Triple H and The Rock for the Intercontinental title that helps to set up their ladder match at SummerSlam 98. And uh, probably the thing that's most noteworthy from uh, Fully Loaded 1998 is Sable's bare chest. Um, oh, yeah. So we will we'll watch that uh, from July of 1998. One of my favorite shows, one that I always, it's a show that I watched multiple times just because, like, you know, you think of King of the Ring 98, think of SummerSlam, think of Survivor, you think of the big pay-per-views, WrestleManias, obviously, but like fully loaded 1998, probably most people don't just think of like, but uh, from what I remember, it's a pretty fun show. Yeah. Uh, mentioned that Rock Triple H match, the main event, obviously the star power of it uh, for a 12-year-old in 1998, Sable. Yeah. yeah, Jackie, yeah. not bad either. <laughs> let's, yeah, let's, not, let's, give, let's give Jackie some credit as well. Twelve-year-old um, uh, like me in 1998 was enjoying seeing her on the television as well. Um, so, uh, and I'm sure some other stuff on the card that I cannot remember as of right now. But, uh, anyways, yeah. that's what's kind of on tap here. Guys, our age probably mature a lot faster than guys from other generations because of WWF 1998. 
Or you can even go back to 96 and Sonny. Yeah, yeah. The WWF boys who are WWF fans may have sort of experimented earlier than maybe some other boys. Yeah. I, it might not be told. It might not be true at all. Because obviously Pam Anderson was a big deal and Jenny McCarthy was a big deal. And uh, I don't know who else. But some I'm going to say they weren't as accessible. Because like maybe not so, on TV as much. Yeah. Well, and never, and, you know, and also you, you think about the whole parent thing, right? You're watching Baywatch. Your parents are like, what, what are you watching that for? I know. Turn it off. Or yeah, you're I watching. Guess, I know why. Because you're yeah. You're watching these women in one piece. Yeah. You know, lifeguard bathing suits. You had a better. Which really isn't all that revealing, but yeah. But but when you're ten, it is. And. True. And if you're watching Singled Out on MTV, why are you watching a dating show? Good reference. You're you're ten. What, what are you doing? You're watching pro wrestling. I didn't know they were gonna <laughs> no do this. Deal. Yeah, I didn't know they were gonna. They're in the wrestling ring. That's just what's going on. Like I, I just want to see Bret Hart. I don't, I don't know what they're doing. So the, there is there is a much better built-in excuse if you were a a WWF fan in the late 90s as a prepubescent boy to to ogle um, and to sort of find out what you were into, uh, so to speak. And it wasn't as taboo if your parents walked into the room while you were watching. You did not have to stammer to explain, well, no, I'm watching wrestling. They just put the, this, ah, this is going to be five minutes, whatever. And then, like, mankind's going to be on. So get off my back, Ma. Uh, where, where with the other shows, you you couldn't pull that off nearly as easily. You couldn't get away with it. Yeah, like your parents walk in at twelve thirty into your room and you're watching uh, Cinemax. Yeah, it's pretty obvious yeah. what you're doing at that point. Yeah, you can't explain it. But if you're watching wrestling and you're like, you're watching ECW now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> at twelve thirty at night. I like Taz. Guys, I like Taz. And Francine, you know, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Well, no, you really watch him for Francine, but you tell your parents, you like Taz. He's a badass. No one can beat Taz, guys. I got to watch this guy. All right. So we figured we we have, yeah, we solved that. That was, that was, that makes a lot of sense. I think we, uh, we solved some issues. We solved some (laughs) issues there. All right. Bash of the Beach, 1995, up on the WWE network. And, um, you know what's going to happen, by the way? We're going to do these 95 shows, and then, like, in a week or two, they're going to put up, like, Saturday night episodes from the summer of 95. And I'd be like, you assholes. Like, you could have put those up before we did these shows so we could watch them. Yeah. But, uh, they're only up to, like, you know, middle of 93. So they got a long way to go with that Saturday night. Um, and who knows if they're ever going to put on, like, main events from WCW or Worldwide or Pro or... I mean, there's so many other shows. WWF has so many other shows that can go up. Action Zone. Uh, um, there's probably still a lot of Shotgun Saturday Nights that are not, uh, are not up. Sunday Night Heat. That A lot of that's not up. Um, man, I'm sure there's tons. and ton- They probably have more still left in the library, not on the network, than they have on the network. You know what I mean? Like the amount of content they have on the network, they probably still have more that's still waiting. 
especially with like all the extra stuff that like that they filmed like you know when they were showing the undertaker documentary they had some random footage outtake footage him talking out of character in between takes and stuff like imagine all of that that they have from everything well and, and we talked about it earlier now would be the perfect time to release that stuff if you guys are listening, like let's open, up the, let's open up the vault a little bit, you guys. Um, oh man, because because quarantine is the perfect time to, to delve into all that stuff and, and do a deep dive of like like I've been enjoying catching up on on all the stuff that I didn't pay attention to the first time around when I was watching in '95 and '96, '98, and then also like filling in the gaps. Um, because actually, so here's a weird thing that I did the other day. I was watching, um, I was commemorating the year anniversary of my Seattle trip. So I was watching a Seattle Supersonics playoff game from 1995 against the Lakers. So, so back then in 95, 96 was like the first year that I like fully watched the NBA playoffs, like start to finish. So the Sonics came out of nowhere in 96. Like I knew the Rockets were good the the two prior years, but it wasn't like I watched every game. In 96, I'm like, oh, the Sonics are good. To me, they came out of nowhere. But when I'm watching back in the the previous two years playoffs. Oh, 94. That 94 team was a a wagon and they got beat by the Nuggets. Yeah. Yeah. So the the two years prior, they, they lost the Lakers the next year three to one. So I didn't know that there was this whole story where the Sonics were a great regular season team and then ended up like floundering the playoffs before they finally made the finals in 96 to lose to Jordan's Bulls when he made his return to the finals. Um, the same thing goes for wrestling, where like you start watching, and, and I started watching um, chronologically probably around 92. Everything I knew before that were uh, from VHS tapes that I didn't watch in chronological order. And at the time, I wasn't worried about chronological order. I would just watch them at my grandparents' house or at my parents' house whenever I was sick. But, like, going back now and, and figuring out, like, what built these guys in the 90s, what they did in the 80s, and, like, because there were certain callbacks and stuff in the 90s to the 80s. Like, when Hogan was uh, fighting Rowdy Roddy Piper in the mid nineties when he was part of NWO had no idea about all their history in the eighties until I got to revisit it. That's something that we could do more of during quarantine. So I think it would be worth it for WWE to release a little bit more of that, that at least the Saturday night, our guy from WCW, you know, just give me everything. I say, give me everything because I'm still going to be paying for it because I still want the current day pay-per-views. Exactly. But I I do understand why they would not want to give everything away immediately because there are going to be people who go through everything they want. And then they'll be like, Oh, I'm done with this now. I have everything. I've I've seen everything I need to see Uh, this way. It's there's more, they keep wanting more, as I just said, and I, I think there has to be just endless amounts of footage of everything and anything uh, from every event they ever did, backstage stuff, in between takes. Like they probably have camera, they probably have footage of like gorilla position 
from an entire show that would be fascinating to watch. Like a camera that's just on Vince and whoever he's sitting with, whether it's Michael Hayes or Bruce Pritchard, an entire three-hour show, and the camera's just on them and their reactions and what they're saying. And like, and then on a screen in front of them, you can see what's going on in the show. I would watch that. I'd watch that entire thing, and I'd be fascinated as fuck. Because oh yeah, you'd want to hear what Vince is saying and what he's directing and what he's saying, do this, do that, and his reaction and what he likes and what he doesn't like. Because all we hear is we just hear what, you know, through hearsay or, you know, secondhand source, thirdhand source, what he likes, what he doesn't like, what he yells, what he, you know, you know, some of them are pretty good sources, obviously, but I want to just see it and hear it for my own. And I would watch that all day, every day. So, yeah. Okay. Let's let's do this. Bash of the Beach, nineteen ninety five. In oh, it's raining outside. <laughs> <laughs> I got distracted. I'm sorry. Nobody cares. Three, two, one, play. Waves are curled. Sharks will be swirling. This is very nineties graphic. Slim Jim. The the shark. The shark just got me immediately. Now you, now you don't mean John Tenta, but you mean the shark little graphic. Yeah, yeah, the, the shark graphic. Sorry, sorry. I forgot the shark was a, a guy at this point, too. Well, he he's not. Uh, or is he the avalanche now? Well, I think about. right around this time is when he turns into shark. Defend off the miraculous monster, Big Van Vader. Let's run. So the lifeguard batch. Savage and Flair. I like the logo though with the with the wave. It turns into a fist. Yeah. All right, batch at the beach. They're showing the crowded Huntington Beach. You can see the ring. There are some people who are at the beach who don't give a flying fuck about wrestling, but they are sort of in the area. Made sure to find the women in the bikinis for their first shot of the crowd. And hi everyone, along with Bobby the Brain Heenan, I'm Tony Shivani. and the Brain in a bright red polo shirts. Now my favorite guy already is the guy right behind Bobby the Brain. Yeah. Look at that stash. Kill tour come to an end. And is that a mullet or? Does he just have like a little bit of bangs and the rest of his hair is held back by his sunglasses? Where's his shirt? That I can't tell. Well, I mean, he's at he's on the beach. I can't can't fault him for not wearing a shirt. Yeah. On the line here in Huntington. But it looks like he has Zubas on. So the, the, the no shirt but wearing pants is always a curious look for me. Oh, like not wearing a bathing suit? God, okay. Yeah, like, if you're not wearing a shirt, you should be in shorts. No shirt but pants? Weird move, unless, of course, you're a pro wrestler. All right, so they're showing a video about Meng, who... Uh, initially was just kind of the bodyguard for Colonel Rob Parker, but then started working in the ring. The former Haku, of course. And uh, he uh, did not win the U.S. title against Sting back at Great American Bash, but is now getting a second chance. He is a is he a karate guy? Is this what they're telling us? Is that what is that is that his discipline here? I don't know. Or is it jujitsu? Trained in nine forms of martial arts. Okay. Inside his mind. Meng is a master of disaster. That doesn't tell me anything. Now, is this true? Was he 
was he trained in that many forms of martial arts or like at least one or two because there was a twitter thread earlier in the week i don't know if you caught that word i think it was bully ray asked if you were in a fight which two wrestlers are you bringing with you if you're in a brawl and everybody like was like unanimously ming you gotta bring him and like ken shamrock was the other guy i have been so and and i think even ken shamrock agreed with it so that tells me that ming might be a legitimate badass I'm trying Speaking of Ming, the man that is going to be challenging this time, U.S. heavyweight champ Sting for this coveted title. Uh, Sting now being interviewed by Gene Okerlund, who's wearing a TBS Superstation hat. Well, you know something, Mean Gene. I know how tough he's been in the past, but you know something? This is the Stinger here on his home turf. Yeah, he's a bad, bad dude. He can wipe anybody out. I mean, he's got kicks. I he's got slots. He's anything got karate chops. He knows regarding his um, forms of martial arts. Well, he's a sumo wrestler to start. So he has that. I know, that, that. That's what I got. But uh, not sure about his official martial arts training. Of course, his, uh, his kids, Tonga Loa and... Tamatanga are uh, New Japan, right? They're, that, yes, they're both, yes. they Bullet Club, both of them Bullet yes, Club. Right? By my side, and you know something? I got my mom and dad sitting ringside, and the stinger is not going to be in Venice. His parents not in front of mom and show dad. Here. He's a California boy, Venice Beach, right? I think he's billed as Venice Beach, or he might actually yeah, be he, from he's legitimately Venice from California. He was a bodybuilder before he started with the Blade Runners. Right, yeah. Hogan, not really from. Right here, Huntington Beach. Venice Beach, right? Beach. He's, he's a fake Venice Beach boy, right? My muscles going just yes. right. Yeah, that's right, a little bit of Popeye. How about one? Hey, ah! See, about Sting one? was actually born in Nebraska. That's all I wanted to hear. That doesn't mean it. He may have still. Yeah, born in Nebraska, raised in Southern California. And was a bodybuilder, as you just mentioned. Sting was. At the beach. So, the great thing about this show, the way they did it, you get these great aerial views and it's pretty it's picturesque it's different and our tremendous um, crowd on hand sting you know, and ming it, will battle at least that you know, it gives you you're interested to watch this show because of how it's being the great american produced i'd say yeah. we're seeing a ton of hulkster foam not even fingers just foam holsters in the uh yeah. in the crowd to start off now they got the ring on a on a platform but it doesn't seem like it's really high enough that if you're 15 rows back like i don't you're only all you're seeing is the guys when they're standing up in the middle of the ring yeah speaking of colonel robert parker there he is tennessee lee World's greatest promoter. Pre Jeff Jarrett days. Given to him by Richard Petty, who was wrestling in the 400 mile race today in Michigan. Knowing the, the, uh, Colonel, the knowing stud stable. Which is something that Steve Austin was a part of for a while. Arn Anderson. Uh, Wasn't that Pocono? Stud stable member. All right. You heard how pumped up and ready Sting was. A young man who now we're hearing the, the man called Sting theme. Man called Sting. I, I remember singing this song as I, I had this like gigantic, it was so stupid. So I had all the, the normal like uh, WWF action figures. And then when Hogan went over to WCW, oh, the, we're seeing it on the screen right now, the exact action figure I had. 
So they had like WCW action figures that were like a lot bigger than the WWF ones, and they were rubber, so they couldn't move. But obviously, I got the Van Vader one, I got the Sting one, and I made so many like dream matchups with the man called Sting version of Sting. Uh, that stupid rubber. I should actually find that. I, I think my cousin has it now because he got into wrestling when when he was. He's like 15 years Whoa, younger than me, so I got Michael Buffer already here. Oh wow! Ladies and gentlemen, are you ready? Huntington Beach, California, are you? Not a bad idea to start off with this match and have Buffer out there and try to get the crowd who, from all of all reports, not really like a big wrestling crowd. Like a lot of people there that, you know, kind of knew what was going on and knew the big guys, but didn't really know what was going on, I guess. I just saw I just saw a WWF Hulk rule shirt in the crowd too. So that guy that guy meant to be there. Yeah. But yeah, I'd assume that they filled out the crowd with a bunch of people that were just hanging out, partying, and they were like, Hey, you wanna go to this wrestling show for free? Why is his weight unknown? Just give him just weigh him. <laughs> or I, I know the story will be well, you know, the hill he's gonna kick your ass if you try to weigh him. The mighty Meng. At the big man, and his little man, wearing orange trimmed with blue, and weighing in at two hundred fifty-three. So the aerial shots are very impressive. It does look like a huge crowd around the ring. The man who is known the world over in the sport of professional wrestling, famous for the Scorpio Deathlock and the Stinger Splash, he's the star of Thunder in Paradise. He was in one episode, I think. And and all right, here here is a peek into my nerdum uh, in regards to pro wrestling. And remember when I said I watched all the episodes of Thunder and Pi uh, Paradise? Sting was a marine in his episode that was brainwashed. Um, from everywhere and there's there's the military call hoo-yah and he kept yelling or hoorah and, and he, he kept yelling yahoo because he was brainwashed yeah and it was like the backwards version of the normal call and that was the whole story behind Sting he got brainwashed. He was like a Manchurian candidate, and he was saying the thing backwards, and then they like unraveled it by the end, and he started saying it right again. Interesting. All right, so Sting defending the U.S. Championship against Ming. Ming is the type of athlete that, with one blow, brain he can end the barefoot wrestler Ming. Following the lineage of Kevin Von Erich. That's you talking. Matt Riddle. Rusev. Early Rusev. Early Rusev. Well, until he broke his foot. Yeah. Um, the Samoan SWAT team, who were related to Hot Boy, I think, and then uh, the Head Shrinkers. Jimmy Snooker. Yeah. Did all the Von Erichs wrestle barefoot? It was just Kevin. I. Well, Kerry obviously didn't later on in his career because I don't think Kerry did. I don't think Kerry did though initially. I don't think David did either. 
I think I think I think I'm wrong, but I think Kevin was the only one who wrestled barefoot. They are going toe to toe early on, and Sting getting an advantage here on me. Sting laying in some punches and some forearms. I love this WCW ring. I'm a big fan of the blue with the WCW scope logo. I guess you call yeah, that a scope. I don't know if I like the look or if I like it because it's nostalgic for me. And I, uh, I go back I to the time where I, I, I like didn't have to worry about shit. I think it's both. I think it's I think it's a I think it's a clean, slick look. And like you could have it today and you'd like it. But obviously, obviously, yes, the nostalgia is, uh, is pretty big. Get the, the ropes are black or the cables are black. WCW does not use ropes. Well, they still call them ropes, but different material than what WWF, WWE would use. Now, here's something that's kind of WCW started doing. That we see the ring posts. They're wrapped in the Slim Jim uh, advertisement. Kind of like they, they look like um, right, it's like a rectangular post now because of the way it's covered up. Sort of like what WWE has now with the LED boards around it. And Sting now at the mercy of Ming, right to the trapeze. Of course, they got that now because they have Savage in the fold. Yeah. Bringing Slim Jim over. How much money did that make him again? Because that, that had to make him a decent amount. Something the fact I mean, that he can bring a whole endorsement over. I think. Bischoff has said it, or the reports were, and I don't know if he confirmed them or not. And you know, heard him talk about it on many different shows, podcasts, whatever. I think seven hundred and fifty thousand, something along the lines of that. Something, something where along the lines of, of, like, it helped WCW pay Savage his salary because they were getting that much money from Slim Jim, yeah. like. It paid. He paid for it. Paid for himself. Something like that. Something where, you know, his salary may have been pretty high, but a lot of it was, um, you know, compensation due to Slim Jim. WWF still had like, sort of had a Slim Jim uh, sponsorship. When I remember a little bit, because I know like, I think Bam Bam was in some commercials and Diesel. Yeah. But I don't know. That may have been like in '94 before Savage had a fish, you know, had left. So, not totally sure on that time period here of when that. I mean, happened. if you're Slim Jim, doesn't it make sense to just advertise on both federations at this point? Because you figure people who like wrestling are probably also going to like Slim Jims. I mean, I. It may have been that, like, it was initially through Savage who brought it into WWF, and then that allowed other people to be involved with it. But then in the end, like, he was still there. Like, their contract was with him more so than the WWF. Maybe I'm wrong. Meng's got him hooked up for a suplex. Sting blocking it. You know, one of those Baywatch now trying to deliver one himself. No. Waiting here. Stalemates. In the end, they just break in the corner here. Oh, anticlimactic. It has been Ming's strategy in this opening bout, Brain, to keep referee Randy Anderson. So he could beat on him and wail away. Sting has been very determined to get out. Although we do have the old school WCW ref uniform here, 
Oh, bow tie. Yeah, the, the light blue button-up short sleeve shirt with the bow tie. And is it navy blue slacks, it looks like? Well, and you say WCW, you know, throwback kind of look. I mean, WWF, got to remember, that was the look as well. The bow tie yeah. and the, yeah. maybe a long sleeve or a short sleeve blue shirt. So, um WWF 1995, have they gone to the striped referees yet? I'm, I'm trying to remember now, thinking about King of the Ring 95, but I feel like it was somewhere 94, 95 when they made their transition into the referees going into the, uh, I guess you would say, standard referee outfit of wearing the black and white zebra colors. Oh, he's got his lucky hat on from Richard Bennett. Ming picking up Sting with the body slam. And him down. now going to and the second turnbuckle. Turn what is he going to deliver? Oh, a missed splash. <laughs> Terrific. Or he might have been going for like the headbutt. Uh, headbutt, probably. You're right. Yeah. yeah. Sting trying to lock in the death lock. Trying to turn him over. That's the question, and I'm not so sure if he can. Sting getting the reaction from the crowd, trying to get them involved here, trying to turn him over. He does. He's got it. Can he hold him? Oh, Tennessee Lee up on the apron. I love calling guys by the wrong name. Haku. Haku taking advantage of the Tennessee Lee interference. Kicking Sting in the back. Well, I would call him Blade Runner Sting at this point. Now, well, was he Blade Runner was he, was he Blade Runner Sting? Or I thought they had other names. I'm pretty sure it's... Hold on. The tag team with 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 Hellwig, right? Yeah. With with Warrior, was he Blade Runner Sting? I feel like. Is that going to be our gimmick on this show today? We're going to call everybody by their wrong name, and people are going to be very annoyed <laughs> listening. Just be happy that friggin' uh, Ed Leslie isn't on this show. Yeah, he was staying in the Blade Runners. Right now, Blade Runner Sting, okay. What was what was what was Hellwig though? Was it like rock or something? Yes, he was rock. Oh, what the You fucking nailed that one, man. Holy shit though. Did you see that was that was that supposed to be a brain buster or did Sting almost get paralyzed? I bash in the beach ninety five. Jeez. That's what that was. That looked like it was supposed to be a suplex back in the ring and Got dropped right on his head. Now a couple of backbreakers delivered by Haku. King Haku. So it's Blade Runner Sting and Blade Runner Rock. Interesting. Where does he get it from? Okay. Yeah, because McMahon came up with the Ultimate Warrior thing. Because remember, he was, so well, he was, sort of. He was well, he was, but he was the Dingo Warrior before. So he yeah. had he he had the Warrior part of it before he went to WWF. That's what Vince is great at. He can take he can take an idea of something and mold it and expand on it and make it huge. Just look at Hulkamania. He can polish it. He can polish a turd. Or not a turd. That's not right. No, it's almost like he can put the finishing touches on something that's already there. That's... That, like, because, yeah, like you said, Hulkamania was a thing before Vince McMahon, but Vince McMahon took it to new levels. Same thing with the Dingo Warrior. Do you think anybody's buying a shirt with that name on it? No. Ultimate, 
is a, Ultimate Warrior is a much better name. And he came up with The Undertaker, too. We went in depth on The Undertaker in the, the previous show about how many other careers he spawned. But yeah, that was a Vince McMahon creation there. He had a... He had a I mean, of course, he had Duke to Dumpster Drosy, but he had a hot-ass run. Like, eighties and nineties, when you think about it, from like basically, basically, if you if you go to him with like the germ of a good idea, or you got something good going, but it needs that extra touch. Maybe not anymore, obviously, but there was a time where he would have the track record to see that, add to it, and make it, you know, make it over the top. Um, Here's gonna, this is going to be a very unpopular discourse now um, because you mentioned maybe not anymore. Uh, but there are, there's the progression of genius. And if you follow any musician's career, there comes a point where their music isn't popular anymore. And yeah, like, Nick, like, like, like Nickelback. They were popular. Yeah, well, uh, I'm thinking more like Paul McCartney and and Brian Wilson of the Beach Boys right. and the like. Same where same, same category. Yeah, they, they keep making music and, and people just aren't getting it. Yeah. Um, there could be a point in which genius advances so far that the current generation isn't going to get it, but like a generation or two down the line would be like, oh yeah, that was a brilliant idea. Who knows? I mean, we might all be morons that complain about Vince Man, and two generations from now, they're going to finally get it because he could be ahead of his time. Do I think it's likely? No. But it's possible. And it's something that I don't think really that many people bring up. They just say he's out of touch. He could be out of touch, but he could be so far advanced that we don't even realize it. Now, both guys on the mat right now after... Meng had a sunset flip, and then Sting jumped up and sat on him with his ass. It was a whole big thing. Standing ten counts. What that's called? What a day! What a crowd! Boxing thing. Uh, yeah. Isn't it a laying down ten count? Standing ten count? They have a standing ten count, right? Can't they? Can't you get a ten count, but you're on your feet? Yeah. 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 Okay. So not. I don't. I'm not a big boxing guy. As you might be able to tell. <laughs> sort of like a Walls of Jericho here from uh, Haku. Meng. Whatever. You're right again. I'm the brain. Bobby the brain points out that we're nowhere near Boston. But yeah, it's weird. He has both both legs hooked into one armpit. So it's it's very similar to actually Sting's finishing move, except he doesn't have his leg grapevine in between yeah. Sting's two legs. Oh, there's a colonel. He better well, stop celebrating. Dumb thinks that the guy gave up, Turn thinks he won, celebrating a little bit. Okay, no, not the case. The end result, though, Just letting is the guy lie there for a little bit. Now going for an elbow, and what do you know? Sting rolls out of the way. It's incredible. He picks him up! Going for the... Oh, belly to back. And it's got to be what? 88, 89 degrees out here? For the U.S. title. Sting's been relegated to the U.S. title at this point because of Hogan. Sting back up. Sting does not get back to the tight to the WCW to the to the world title until Starcade '97. Uh, am I am I missing anything? Right? That's no, no, yeah. Like we're we're 
We're actually in the twilight of the Man Called Sting era, but we don't see it coming. Yeah, one more, one year basically, one more year. Like, we, we actually start to see him. So he's still with the, the blonde spike, like, sort of crew cut thing going on right now. But this is the summer that he starts to grow that out. Yeah. And it leads into Nitro, where we see, like, the brown haired man called Sting, which doesn't last that long uh, in retrospect. And yeah, we're, we're probably 18 months out of Crow Sting, right? Not yet. Uh, like a year from now is when Hogan turns, and then you still have this version of Sting. Less than eighteen months. Less than eighteen months. Maybe like fifteen months. Yeah, yeah. It was like three months into the NWO run where they were saying that they thought Sting was turning, and he and he just got depressed and and now I thought turned dark. Of course, again, at this point in time, they had announced that uh, their Monday night show was was coming. Oh, Sting just kicked. Bang just kicked the life out of Sting. Soul left his body. Trying to go with the Stinger Splash. We'll talk about that a little bit in part two. That's some of the stuff about um, what will become Monday Nitro. That name had still not yet been uh, figured out. Uh, by oh, mid-July, which is funny when you think about it, because the show was less than two months away from debuting, and they had not yet uh, named it just yet. After the kick, yeah, you figure like huge TV networks are a little more organized than that, but it just shows you like how on the fly everything was back then. Yeah, Meng with a splash off the middle turnbuckle and Sting rolled his shoulder. Meng thinks he won again. He did not get him. The shoulder was up right before the three count. Boy, was Ming jobbed on this one. Was he wrong? Ming to the ropes, ducks a kick, roll up, and gets a three. That was a very sloppy finish. Yeah, that's uh. Then I guess you're not going to have Ming tap out to the. Oh, and he, he attacks him after the bell, so it looks like they're going to continue the storyline yeah. after this. Keeps him strong, loses on a roll-up, doesn't get, you know, doesn't, doesn't, well, there was no tap-outs, but didn't give up to the, to the Scorpion Deathlock, didn't get pinned one, two, three after a Scorpion Death Drop or anything, and, yeah, he clears Sting out of the ring, and Colonel Robert Parker with his towel and his, what, oh, Road Warrior Hawk out there. On our main event program, our pregame show, and he is standing there with with Sting, Making sure that Ming keeps his distance. So Hawk is out there to be with Sting. Especially when he's wearing spikes. Robert Parker must just be sweating profusely at all times. I mean, he is. He is normally. Imagine in this situation. Yeah, being in that suit out in the sun. Now, what what time locally did this pay-per-view start? Because you figure... Four? Like four, yeah. So it was seven Eastern time, and, and yeah, so a four o'clock California sun did have to be hot for some guy in a suit. Misses with that kick. Thing takes him down. Ming hits the back of his head on the yeah, Seven o'clock Eastern time starts, so. I can see it from my vantage point. Gets the three count. 
I must have been weird watching from home on the East Coast because you figure, like, by the time the main event came around, it was still white out in California. Oh, yeah. And it was, it was probably, like, pitch black night on the East Coast. Right, here's Jimmy Hart, who is, well, with Renegade, who is making some guttural noises. You know, Mean Gene, when you pick up any wrestling magazine in the country, they're all talking about the Renegade, baby, and Mr. Wonderful Paul Orndorff right here in Southern California, in the warm California sun, when he gets through with you, that's all you're going to be talking about. Got a his face painted with a, kind of like an R design. Just like, Jimmy Hart has programmed me to T-O-S, terminate on Zod! You got this guy tuned up, I'll tell you. Mean Gene, what? he is With ready, baby. TOS, terminate on site? All right, uh, I'll tell you, I think so. It's just, like, so cheap, because, like, that paint he has on his arm with the R, it just looks like it's like, eh, just throw some yellow paint when, you know, R, I am, you know, whatever. Like, it's just, uh, Right now, let's get you back to yeah, the um, up in the ring. When I was watching back on uh, American ba or Great American Bash, that Great American Badass, I, I was I was super disappointed in myself in Little Kid version Daryl because I was super into Renegade just because like as a kid you can get fooled by him like oh wow he comes out he he acts like the Ultimate Warrior like. It's like the same thing, and and you would go for the cheap knockoff as a kid. But in retrospect, holy crap, was it bad? Well, here comes Mr. Wonderful Paul Orndorff. Lefty. At this point. Yeah, which arm? Okay, so which arm is the issue that he is right? right. You, you can right definitely tell. Just like once once they zoom out, you can see like. His left arm is still pretty jacked. His right arm, the bicep, is, is essentially missing. See? There's his right arm, and he's, he's motioning with his left oh, arm okay. the entire yeah. time. Yeah. yeah. What is the uh, dude? He, he got into a motorcycle accident and like, lost feeling and function in his right arm, pretty much. Around this time as well, um, uh, Dave Penzer is the ring announcer. Early in 95, it was still Gary Michael Caquetta. But uh, I think uh, they made the transition away from Gary Michael Capetta, who has a very distinct voice. Ladies and gentlemen, his opponent! This is Sting! Very nasal. Private. And here comes Renegade. The world television champion! The Renegade! The warrior knockoff music and the running slower than Warrior yeah. to the ring. They need to get this guy some steroids and some cocaine if they want him to be a true Warrior knockoff. <sighs> he needs more muscles and more energy. You've had a lucky run since you've been here, Renegade. You've knocked off Arn Anderson. You've knocked off, luckily, you've knocked off. Actually, uh, Orndorff hurt his arm in a weightlifting accident um, during the feud with Hogan, which would have been all the way back, like, 86? Yeah, like 86, 87, I think. And that's what he's doing here, 
Oh, you're right about that, Shivani. So, because he was in the middle of a big money feud with Hogan, he did not want to take time off to have surgery to properly treat it. And after the program ended, Orndorff worked a reduced schedule. Three minutes before he was forced to take some time because of the injury. He was away from WWF, Bobby Heaton brought in by Roger McRude. He has been the world television champion before. Yeah, so it's just... Um, and he is... Yes, yeah, so that was like an 80... 87. Stay with the man in the ring. He's the man so, you have to beat. He's the man that doesn't really say what. Yeah, whatever. What I'm reading here doesn't like say like the total issue. Like, I mean, man, you can hurt your arm and you know put off surgery. But that would been something really serious, obviously, to have it basically be. Yeah, I don't know, degenerative isn't the right word, right? But it like it, no, it is degenerative because like okay. he, he like couldn't lift with it anymore, and you just see like his left arm he. He obviously, yeah, is, gonna, yeah, it's way bigger, and like the rest of his body is muscular, and and it's just much of the his right arm just shrinks and shrinks and shrinks. Take an eight, roll in, roll back out, take another eight. Now, obviously, he's like not nearly in as good a shape. Like if you look at him now, Atrophy, and, obviously, yeah, yeah like, compared to like when he was in the eighties, he was like a brick shit house. Like he's still got he's still got abs here, but his back isn't nearly as wide or defined. And obviously that, that has to do with the fact that half of his upper body he can't lift with. And he went into retirement for a couple of years, late eighties, and then came back. And obviously now we see him in nineteen ninety five. In WCW. First time I've ever heard How old was he at this point? One wonders, probably not as old as you might guess. Uh, I'm guess 43. I guess 43. Let me know. Guessing 43. The answer is 45. Going on 46 in a couple of months. So pretty close. Mid 40s. So he's only 70 right now. In, uh, in 2020. No, he's quite an athlete, is what he is. He's a heck of an athlete. This is a television title match. Renegade beat. Arn Anderson for the TV title back at Great American Bash. So they were trying to make Renegade a thing. Um, TV title doesn't seem to be the, the the best championship to give this guy. Oh my because God. Like, By the way, that dropkick was just brutal just now. Because like the TV title is supposed to be, you know, defended on TV, you know, a lot. Um, and you look at a lot of like 10, 15 minute matches that go the distance, stuff like that. Oh, and Orndorff just threw some sand in Renegade's eyes. Um, but uh, this is a guy, much like the guy he's um, mimicking, that didn't really have the ability to have long, sustained, good matches. Because again, what do you... And that obviously Maybe it's not fair, but you know, Ultimate Warrior, his best match is probably WrestleMania six against Hogan. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, which uh, we did cover on this show way back in our infancy. I guess we're still in our infancy, but uh, one of our first shows, WrestleMania six. Something happens to him. that one. Paul yeah, I guess the one thing that I'm surprised about is like they didn't get someone a little bit more athletic to mimic the warrior. You know? Like why did they choose this guy? It's very mysterious. Just because he had that hair? Why they had to do I, 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 without remembering totally or in not really caring to look it up. Hogan idea. I would think. 
A forearm shot. I mean, it was, I mean, it was all built around Hogan teasing that a guy, a friend from the past, when people thought it was going to be actually Warrior, the real Warrior, coming in, and then they sort of had to kind of make that known that it wasn't actually going to be him because people were thinking it was him, and that was going to be a whole. Um, you know, uh, you, you can lawsuit possible issue. So, and Mr. Wonderful does get. Yeah, I'm actually hearing a wonderful chant right now. He knows his limitations, but I That's, think he's gonna spike him. Right well, the people in the crowd probably some of them know who he is, but have no idea who this friggin' knockoff guy is. Yeah. Flex the other way. Got a back body drop. That drop kick. But he didn't get. Oh my god, that drop kick is so bad. He I will go on record. I guarantee. I guarantee I can do a better drop kick than this guy. He did it back to back. He goes up to do a two-footed drop. He goes up to do a two-footed drop kick, like parallel to the mat, and then ends up kicking with one foot. So it ends up being a, a one-foot drop kick, which is a thing you can, you know, you can do. But oh, brutal! He's not pretty. And I don't blame. And I don't blame the. I don't blame him. It's not his fault. No, what's he gonna say? No. No, I, I don't want to do this. I don't want to be put in this situation. I will not take the money. I, I blame him for doing the drop kick, though. You got to know your limitations. Uh, okay, fair enough. Like, but maybe Warrior, they're telling him, they're saying, hey, Real Warrior never tried to do a drop kick. Right. So if, if you're this guy and you're like, the guy I'm mimicking never tried to do this. And have you seen what I try to do? Like, have you seen how that looks on TV? Looks fucking terrible. I'm not going to do it. There's, there's something to be said to to being self-aware. He just won with a belly-to-back suplex with Orndorff's left shoulder off the mat. And then Shivani is saying that Orndorff looks like he got the right shoulder up and the referee didn't see it, but the match is over. Thankfully, Renegade The crowd just booed him, too. And they're cheering Mr. Wonderful attacking him after the bell. Another post-match... Uh, Attack. By the way, Sting and Meng, according to Dave Meltzer, was a two-star match. This was a dud. Drop him! Drop him! Okay, so in the middle of that pile driver, there was a lot long pause. It looked like Orndorff was saying something. Oh my goodness! I wonder if it was to to renegade to like kick his legs up on that pile driver. And Renegade got up. The Renegade is up. He just wants to Paul's driver, and he's he just goes to the top rope and waits for Paul Orndorff. Be very patient. Well, you know that's what you do. That's the best movie delivered the entire match. The time and part of the match. The Renegade hangs up. Orndorff is really smart here. So I, I want to draw attention to what Orndorff just did. Um, so the crowd was sort of booing Renegade, and on TV you want him to get cheered. So as Orndorff exited the ring, he he faced the crowd, raised his hands, and got them to cheer. So the the announcers and the announcers didn't pick up on it, but the announcers could have said like, "And the crowd's really cheering for the Renegade here." But like, All right. super veteran move by Orndorff there. 
I need to read this because it'll make you feel good about what you were saying earlier. Um, no heat at all, though Orndorff received most of the cheers. Orndorff worked a solid match, but like Arn Anderson before him, that isn't enough. Highlight, highlight was Renegade hitting two of the worst drop kicks on record. <laughs> Renegade is said to be a student of Killer Kowalski, but you can guess that Killer disavows any knowledge of ever teaching him anything. Nobody else did either. Renegade won with a sloppy back suplex with the storyline being Orndorff got his shoulder up, but the ref was out of position to see it. Um, and it talks about how the fans were booing Renegade after popping up from the pile driver. All right, so we're two matches in. And, and I now prepare you for our next match coming. Um, so Renegade and Orndorff was a dud. Ooh, here's some of your favorite stuff. Oh, don't you do? I feel your power, Father. Now I the Paul White, the Giant, is around the corner. He has been making appearances. Um, or at least he has been involved in tapings where I don't know if they've aired yet because again that's where it's really confusing uh, where he's been sitting in the front row and like interacting with people like Jim Duggan and uh, some of the other big baby right, who's this what's this uh, he's like the mastermind behind everything but is he somebody he, he never wrestled no 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 he just does the he just yells of the Sahara Desert, a warrior who has slain the beast on the stones. Warrior who has slain the beast on the stones of Mount Kilimanjaro. I'm reading the uh, closed caption here from the deepest, darkest heart of the African. Oh, talk about Kamala. This is part of this. So they, you know, transferred from being the faces of fear, or at least Sullivan did, into the Dungeon of Doom. Although the faces of fear end up being a part of the Dungeon of Doom, right? But, uh, yeah, yeah. Mang and Barbarian. Yeah. Here's Kamala. Resting his head on the shoulder of this large man who's yelling at us. Well, I can I'm guarantee you one thing, ladies and gentlemen. Come on, I'm not spending a lot of time with Jack LaLanne. Hacksaw Jim Duggan, come I on in. I just don't care, Gene. I tell you, time and time again. So Oberlin says something about um, Kamala not spending a lot of time with Jack LaLanne, who is an old-school you know, fitness guy. And the, the, the subtitles said something about Kamala not spending a lot of time with Jacqueline. Well, fine. <sighs> trying to play it up on top. Anybody do their job right at WWE? I mean, come on. I mean, this might have been early on. I know they were uh, hiring people for like eight bucks an hour to, to do all the logging. And well, it's probably the person probably doing it is probably super young, and they're like, who the hell? They're like, they've never heard of Jack LaLanne before. Yeah. So they're like, no, he must have said Jack. Does that make any sense? Why would Kamala potentially be hanging out with a woman named Jacqueline? You know! <laughs> Who has manager as me, Jing? Here's so Duggan. Who's Taskmaster? Hacksaw Duggan will strike to take you down. Hacksaw Duggan will strike down Kamala, and I'll prevail. Never, never was understood the appeal of this guy. Shivani, you got your cross to bear. Let's get back to the ring. 
probably because I was kind of young. And he was past his interest point. See, I liked him back in the day, but that was because I caught up on all the VHSs back, like back when he was winning the Royal Rumble, and he was actually at the uh, the first live event that I went to. Him and uh, Sergeant Slaughter were a tag team back then. Mala coming out with the Taskmaster, as he is known, Kevin Sullivan. Most individuals in WCW in a long time, Kamala, unorthodox, unpredictable, and couple him with Kevin Sullivan, who we know is a nut. And then, well, you've got a dangerous combination there. Uh, and, uh, hi, uh, and talking about the father, Kevin Sullivan. Really not excited for this huh? match. I mean, this guy's not Ward Cleaver. Are we allowed to skip this? Have we said rules where we can skip a match? I think the rule is if Fast Forward didn't exist when this event was live, it doesn't exist for us. So we have to watch this as, as if we were watching this back in 1995, getting ready to enjoy. Right, I'm, gonna I'm gonna try to do legitimate play. I'm gonna try to do legitimate play by play for this match. So let's see if I can make it not suck. Alright. Alright, so Kamala in the ring awaiting Hacksaw Jim Duggan. He comes to the ring, of course, waving the flag and holding a two by four, which of course is not actually two by four. There's always Stars and Stripes. What's which song? What's what's this? Is this Stars and Stripes Forever or no? Yeah, Duggan and his one man parade. I'm not really, I'm not really up on my, not up on my America song. Stars and Stripes. You know, was the one that um, Luger used. Yeah, Luger used. Kevin Sullivan does for for a period during the WWF run. Odd, odd. Can I finish this thought here, please? Whatever it is, that's uh, Duggan's music. As he climbs the corners and salutes the crowd, waves the flag. At least in this match, a USA chant would, you know, somewhat make sense. Yeah, yeah. Not like the, the one we mentioned earlier. In which it was Hacksaw versus a Marine from the United States. Right, right. And they were chanting USA in support of Hacksaw. By the way, All right. Hacksaw, Hacksaw actually is a great wrestler to uh, to trot out in front of a crowd that might not be totally into wrestling, especially in 1995. One, he was around in the 80s, so people who, who watched when they were kids that are in this crowd might know who he is. Also, in 95, people were super ready to chant USA, so he could really get the crowd in. As corny as he seems very now, easy character to understand. Yes. Yeah. I wouldn't have gotten a ring with Kamala. Uh, the bell is rung, and we're waiting for these guys to do something. Duggan is clapping and stomping, and Kamala is weirdly pacing around. And now they lock up. Kamala with a chop. They trade chops to the head and punches. Duggan with the punches. Kamala with the chops to the head more punches and then a big one and kamala is shaken but not stirred <laughs> not falling duggan with something a leaping shoulder thought it was a knee kamala looks like he's out on a friday night 
at 2 a.m., staying on his feet. I don't know what he's doing. He's overacting. Oh, that's not how anybody stays on their feet, and that's when he gets knocked down. You ever notice that when a wrestler tries to, you know, stay on his feet and get knocked down? Like, nobody on Earth has ever tried to stay up like that. Like, oh, I'm falling back, but I'm holding my balance. They, they turn into a human cartoon. That's the best way to describe it. It's like... You got me. All right. Kamala's back up, though. He got up pretty quickly. But yeah, the, the, the move that we saw Axel pulling, it was almost like a jumping, like, quick jab punch. Like a, like a oh, shitty like a, version. A shitty version of Roman Reigns' Superman punch. They're telling me Jim Duggan is the first coming of Roman Reigns. Yeah, yeah. Wow. That's right. Kamala with that open hand chop to the top of the head again of Duggan, who falls down in the corner. Now a headbutt. They keep adding new members and all the time. Ugandan Giant says something that I can't understand. Ooh, okay. A nice little sidekick up to the face. All right. Big man's flexible. Give him that. Oh, yeah. He can move. And now he's just choking Jim Duggan, which I'm sure many people in the crowd wouldn't mind doing. You may be able to hear the Taskmaster Duggan. Oh, now Duggan just goes to scoop him up, trying to. Got his hand in the crack of his ass. And Kamala's able to knock him in the back and break out of it. Kamala now straddling Duggan, which that cannot smell good at all. Especially in the hot California sun. No. Everything had to smell ten times worse during this. I, I feel for the performers. So snap chops by Kamala. Duggan into the ropes. Bear hug. Kamala's got him in a bear hug. Squeezing those ribs. Duggan's going to look towards the crowd. Help me. Look the other way. Help me. Make noise, and they're like, nah, man, we're cool. So apparently we're good. <laughs> it's like, we don't, we don't care enough to follow the storyline now. Try to break out of it. Oh, so painful. We have uh, Kevin Sullivan looking like Flash Gordon on the outside of his get off there. Flash. Oh, got the arms being raised. Dropped once, drops twice. Everyone knows what happens on a third try. It doesn't even go down at all. Oh, Duggan no-selling. That's a no-sell right there. Supposed to let it drop halfway and then save it before it falls all the way. I mean, he is eliciting some USA chance, so. Hey, he stomps on the barefoot. Another barefooted wrestler. Hey, that's fine game. Why did he not just do that to begin with? Why don't they ever always do that? I mean, think even Matt Riddle. Like, why did yeah, that's my first move. I think he wrestled Baron Corbin this past SmackDown. Why didn't, out of anybody, why wouldn't Baron Corbin just stomp on his feet? Yeah. Maybe it's not. Maybe technically it's not legal. Maybe it's... No, I don't know. All right. Duggan getting up from his knees, getting punched in the boob. A chest punch by Kamala. There was a giant of a now he's nerve hold. I can't tell because the camera shot's not good. What is he doing? Is he squeezing his nipple? Oh, he's got like a armpit nerve hold. Yeah, he's squeezing, you know, the area from the chest to the armpit where it connects. By the way, Hacksaw not very good at acting using his uh, his facial expressions because it looks like 
And until I get he looks like he was selling a little yeah, like he wasn't oh, he biting. Didn't have a biting. Duggan is biting the side of the face of Kamala or the ear. Not very becoming of a baby face, go USA. And he actually looked bored during armpit nerve hold. That is a boring hold, I'll give yeah. that. So what are you doing, dude? You're squeezing my like you're squeezing my armpit. At least squeeze my nipple. Oh, he's got him up. Duggan with the body slam on Kamala. Now he's hoeing to the crowd, I guess. Ho. Three point stand. And a clothesline. Yay. Kamala is floundering on the mat. Taskmaster up and Duggan jumps on the back of the referee. Oh my god. I said he wasn't on the show, but the Zodiac Man, the Zodiac Man from the Dungeon of Doom, and that leads to Kamala being able to fall on top of Duggan and win the match. Negative quarter of a star, according <laughs> to Mr. Meltzer. I can't say I disagree. Um, I got to see what he wrote about this match. Out of nowhere, and all of a sudden, he disappeared into thin air. I don't know. With the ref distracted, Zodiac, quote unquote, uh, Zodiac, and in parentheses, Ed, the beefcake butcher barber Leslie, <laughs> hit Duggan from behind, allowing Kamala to make the pin. Brain, that's your cue to talk. Brain, I'm listening. I can hear. I'm going to talk about a that sailboat. Was, There's this man, the Zodiac. That was the whole thing. There. What do you hit him with? Room. Oh, the mask. The, the, the Kamala mask of a bob of a thing. A victory. Think of a bob of a boob. Dungeon of Doom. Now talk, Shivani. That's yes. your cue. Well, fans, as you know, still to come in this telecast from the Sunshine and well, this Southern California. Much better than King of the Ring '95. It is better because it had Sting and Ming. With yeah. is, that was interesting. Uh, the next, the last, last two matches have been utter train wrecks. Along with the Macho Man Randy Savage, means you know. Look at her. Thank you very much, Tony Schiavone, Bobby the Brain Heenan. What a marvelous, simply marvelous afternoon and evening here in Southern California. The hospitality second to none for some folks. However, for others, a little shaky, I must say. Macho Man Randy Savage, come on in. You and I uh, are Macho Man speaking with Mean Gene. Rick Flair, what this man has done to That's an awesome hat that he's wearing, by the way. I'd like to find that hat. I'm yeah. sure there's got to be one floating around somewhere, right? Oh, yeah. I'd wear that. Slim Jim's bashed at the beach. Ooh, yeah. <laughs> he drops the brand immediately. Mm. Well, it is Slim Jim's bash at the beach. Opposites do a track. The nature boy Ric Flair and the macho man Randy Savage have the chemistry to disagree. I agree to disagree with him. You know why? He's the styler and profiler, and he's been making a statement. But that's the uh, Savage Flair here in a little while. series of matches, or at least the, the two Great American Bash, was set off by Flair beating up um, Randy's dad. You know what? I don't care. Yeah, sit up champion Angelo Poffo, right? Or what they are. What yes. 
Animal, the, uh, By the way, matter to comparing Macho Man here to Macho Man a month ago, it looks like he's already developed significant muscle mass compared to what he was at the, the previous pay-per-view. Because what I noticed in the previous pay-per-view that a lot of the wrestlers had, like, dad bods, so to speak, and even Macho Man. But if you look at, look at his neck here, he's starting to look big. He's starting to look thick. wide neck. Yes, and that that wasn't present during the last pay per view. So over the period of a month, it looks like he gained about ten pounds of muscle. That feels very much at home here on the beach. The Macho Man, Randy Savage, Ric Flair. That's that's something we should definitely pay attention to as we as we uh, sort of go through the nineties. From the Jersey Shore. All right, we uh, quickly go and we now we see DDP walking to the ring with the Diamond Doll and Max Muscle for our next match, DDP against Dave Sullivan. Something we didn't see here on the network because obviously it was edited out, but they uh, plugged what the next pay-per-view was. Uh, it was going to air on August 4th, 1995. It was that Collision in Korea show that they taped, uh, I think, back in May, actually. All the way back in May, um, which uh, is a... Very interesting show, obviously, because it was in North Korea in 1995. Um, Kim Jong-il had just taken over at that point because his father had died. Kim Jong-il, the father of what we now know, of course, Kim Jong-un. Um, and uh, yeah, very uh, a lot of interesting stories that come out of that show. Um, we would not be doing it justice to even really talk about it, but we can recommend that uh, uh, Eric Bischoff and his podcast talked about it. Um, our podcast that we like to talk about, uh, The Laps Fan, did a whole thing on that. So if you're interested in that, I would say those are your sources to check it out. Um, very interesting, as you might guess, uh, in North Korea, where they decided to do wrestling and nobody in the crowd had any freaking clue what in the world is going on. Dave Sullivan in the ring shoving roses into the face of DDP. Yeah, so what we had there leading up to the, the start of this match, um, the Diamond Doll, Kimberly, received a bouquet of flowers from someone who was in a red and yellow tie-dye shirt. Paige got pissed off at that and started berating her. By the way, the outfit that Diamond Dallas Page is wearing is so 1990s. This is this is before he got his major push. Um, this is something that like maybe 10 year olds would wear as a as a put together outfit to the fourth grade back in the day. But um, but yeah, so Paige was pissed at Kimberly for accepting the flowers. And that's how uh, Evad, as we see on the back of his tights yeah. here, gained this advantage. He stormed the ring. And this is fresh off of uh, Evad's movie date with Ralph, his buddy, correct? And, uh, and Kimberly? Ralph the Rabbit, yep. And uh, the Diamond Doll. Dave Sullivan. He, uh, he won a date with her by beating DDP in an arm wrestling contest because women are prizes and we must uh, do things to win them. And by the way, she was involved in that finish to that arm wrestling match. So Max Muscle was providing leverage 
Diamond Donald bumped into Max Muscle, caused him to bump into DDP, and that's how DDP lost the arm wrestling match. Yeah. Um, because we saw at the end of, of that at Great American Bash, DDP attacked, well, pushed Max Muscle, and they, they got heated, and then they hugged, made up. And, and then he DDP, turned his attention to uh, yeah. yelling at, at, at Kimberly, right, right, right. Yeah. It's sort of the Mark Marrow uh, Sable storyline before Mark Marrow Sable happened, right? Yeah, a little. Yeah, you're right. A little bit in that in that direction. Not really fully go in that direction until well, we saw it. Kimberly turning on uh, DDP at uh, Spring Stampede 2000, maybe. <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a really long and slow build. Yeah, well, I think they had I think they had some issues in between though. Maybe when they, well, well, I think at one point they weren't affiliated at all. Kimberly was just a, a nitro girl. Yeah, and then they reestablished their relationship and brought her back into the fold. And yeah, that led to her ultimate turn on him. So Dave Sullivan is the and Diamond Dallas stuck up on top. What's the word? Kayfabe brother of Kevin Sullivan. Be me. Um, they were uh, not really, uh, were not really brothers. <laughs> As, uh, you might might be able to guess. Uh, Kevin Sullivan is Kevin Sullivan. That is his name. Born in Cambridge, Massachusetts, which is why he has an awesome accent. Um, Dave Sullivan is uh, uh, full name William. Adolf Dana Howard Jr. All right. Born in Baltimore, Maryland. Repeatedly. Uh, he was the dyslexic brother. Dix. Wow. Dix. I can't say this. Dys dyslexic. Yeah. Dyslexic. Well, dyslexic brother of Kevin Sullivan. I'll say he. he well, he's acted as though he had more challenges than yeah, just that was this thing, right? The, he played, he played a um, a tamer version of Eugene. Yes, say, right? Like he didn't go all the way, but he didn't act like he was just Dix. Wow, why can't I, Dix? I can't say the fucking word. <laughs> Dyslexic. Dyslexic. This. Wow. Just whatever. The the issue where your letters get jumbled, right? Is that? Is that we just saw we just saw a diamond cutter off the uh, max muscle distraction, but yeah, he, he acted like he had more problems than just dyslexia. Uh, he 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 did act a bit slow. Um, when I was watching earlier, I was like, oh wow, this would not fly during today's climate. And I also was thinking like Eugene wouldn't fly during today's climate. Like, no, it barely you, flew during the climate it was in. Yeah. Um. Uh, Ravendahl uh, was going to check on Dave Sullivan, and then DDP pulled her away. So, here, I missed the finish here, so now I'm going to see it. DDP with the diamond cutter, where Dave Belzer continues to have to call it the uh, the Ace Crusher, which is Japanese name for it. I mean, not, not the Japanese name for it, but um, the Ace the move in Japan. 
All right, and so DDP wins that match, half a star. Let's check out what the Harlem Heat has to say here with Sister Sherry. It's going to be a little unusual, but not for the tag team champions because we are the number one cohesive unit in world championship wrestling. We are two-time world champions. Triangle match. It's not an elimination match. It's the first pinfall. Whoever gets the pinfall is obviously the champion. Doesn't matter what you do out there, because we are the ones that are gonna come out on top. That's the the rules of the triangle match. It is upcoming. Harlem Heat defending the tag team championships against the Nasty Boys and the Blue Bloods. Eagle and Taylor. No, I think I think it's Bobby Eaton right now. Beautiful Bobby. Isn't it beautiful? Wow. Yeah, because he was part of the tag team in the last paper. Just like the Nasty Boys have gotten in the way. Just like the Blue Bloods have gotten in the way. Right. Yep. It is Robert Eaton. As he's going by Lawrence uh, Steve Robert. and Robert Eaton. Gonna be very formal when you're a blue blood. You can't be Bobby. That'd be, that'd be, that'd be Robert Eaton. So that Ray finishes up speaking. Booker T and Stevie Ray. Of course, remember they started out as Cole and uh, Cole and Kane. And Kane, right? Yeah. As yep, as Harlem Heat, and then eventually transitioned into Booker T and Stevie Ray, and they're with Sister Sherry. Um, and of course, in part two, I got to uh, try to go through the tag title issue with the tapings and the championship changing hands, and but they did it for shows that are airing after the pay per view, but they taped them before the pay per view, and. Very confusing. Very, very confusing. If uh, you're someone who read the newsletters or read the magazines and you know saw taping results, I guess we could say. Um, if you were probably someone just watching shows, you know, like an average casual fan, probably wasn't too confusing. But uh, I'll try to explain it. Uh, so, because uh, that wraps up part one of our show today, we still have three matches left that we'll bring to you. Part two, the uh, tag title match we just talked about, Savage and Flair, and of course Hogan and Veda in the cage. Coming up on part two of Bash at the Beach 1995 here on Just Another Wrestling Podcast. We will talk to you in part two. Uh, until then, uh, peace out. Do people still say that? Is that something that people say still? Might be a little dated. Goodbye. It, it, it works. For, it works for a 1995 show. Is goodbye too plain? Can I just say goodbye? Goodbye. See you later. All right. See you later on just another wrestling podcast.